you are curious about what diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace means, if you care about what it means, if you're interested in learning more, you're going to love today's episode and this entire series. Our guest on today's podcast, Charlene Wheelis, is an executive coach who really helps businesses and executives really upgrade their DEI game. And on today's show, you're going to hear me in my first coaching session with Charlene really tackle and struggle through some interesting topics and help kick me off on my journey towards a much better, more inclusive, more diverse, and more equitable workplace. So if that sounds interesting, stick around. You're going to love the show. Hi, and welcome everyone to this very special episode of the Enlightened Future, the podcast that brings you conversations with top insurance professionals and industry leaders. My name is Jason Keck, and I'm joined today by Charlene Wheelis, speaker, executive coach, author, trailblazer, and CEO of Charlene Wheelis LLC. Welcome to the show, Charlene. Oh, thank you. It's really great to be here. Unbelievably excited about the show and, and you know, frankly, a little bit scared uh, in a really <laughs> good way. This is a unique episode for me, different than anything I've ever done and we've ever done on the show. For context, I was introduced to Charlene recently through one of my coaches who I've worked with, uh, Meg Wolf, for a while uh, because uh, over the last couple of months, it's, it's kind of hit me that the amount of energy that I've put into diversity, equity, and inclusion has really kind of waned relative to last year. There was a kind of a, a big uplift in the amount of energy that went into that after the George Floyd murder. And, you know, I think the whole world kind of started paying a lot of attention to social mm-hmm. justice. And it just felt like recently that's that's kind of faded a little bit. And um, mm-hmm. I felt like it was important for me to bring back some of the visibility around the issues that were that we as a company were dealing with last year. And so I asked Ned to uh, connect me with somebody who uh, knows a little bit about that and, and helps mm-hmm. people and leaders work with that and obviously got connected to you. So if, if you don't mind, I'd love if you could maybe introduce yourself and tell the audience who you are and a little bit of your background and explain to them why they connected us. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So as, as Jason said, I'm Charlene Wheelis and I have my own company now. Uh, I started my company about two years ago. So I consider myself a recovering C-suite executive. I have been in corporate communications, corporate affairs issues, you know, my entire career. And I'd say from the word go setting up my career, you know, I really fought very hard and stayed very focused on becoming what I call the perfect black female executive, which means you're, you know how to state your case, but not too loudly or too passionately because you don't want to be the the angry black woman in the room, right? You want to be the antithesis of whatever the stereotype is so that you could succeed. And I did that for 30 plus years. And then I, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2017 and had a seven month battle. Uh, it was supposed to be a seven month battle that turned into four year battle and about a total of 11 surgeries, nine and three years. And so in the midst of that, because I'm a type A personality, I decided to go back to work because that's what you do. And when I went back to work, I realized that I looked the same but I didn't feel the same and I didn't think the same. And this was before George Floyd was murdered. And I just realized 
that I had achieved a height of success, but what was it all for? And what did I give up in the process? Because I do have to say that I believe had I not led that incredibly stressful life, my system would not have been so weakened that the cancer Mm. could have taken over. So I made a decision to choose me because I wasn't getting better and I didn't know what I was going to do. And so I I wrote a book. (laughs) I woke up one day and said, hey, I think I'm supposed to write a book. And at first I thought I was supposed to write a book about my cancer journey. And then I realized, wait a minute. I'm a black female executive in who has worked in all white companies, primarily, not primarily only, (laughs) you know, and I thought there's a story there and that needs to be told and it needs to be told authentically and with a lot of courage because people need to hear it. So I did write my book and then within two months or so after finishing the manuscript, uh, George Floyd was murdered. And so I almost overnight became a consultant because every white CEO I knew, and I knew a lot of them, called and said, what should I be doing? And so that led into a consulting business. And uh, it was primarily focused on, on those conversations around what was happening in the social justice movement at that time. And then companies started asking me to write their DE&I plans. And that's when I shut down my DEI consulting business. And I, I said, no, because I don't want to talk about standard check the box DEI in a company. I said, if you want to talk about workplace racism, then I'm your girl. But if you want someone to bullet point for you a DEI plan, I know tons of consultants I can refer you to. So that led me into the type of consulting that I do now and leadership coaching. So, and before we go any further, Jason, I have to give you props because when you talked about George Floyd, you said George, George Floyd was murdered, which he was, but often people who are not black will say the George Floyd incident or, you know, that what happened with George Floyd. And I always tell people, let's call things what they are. And he was murdered. So just the simple fact that you stated it that way tells me that you at least have some understanding of what's going on. It's interesting that you picked up on that because there was a moment in my head where I I hadn't thought about what I was going to call it. And I just (laughs) just decided to call it what it was. And that, you know, can, I realized could be controversial, right? I might, I might, Mm -hmm. it's part of the, part of the challenge of being a a leader in this space and being vocal is, is, you know, not knowing what's going to come back, right? I'm sure I have some clients and partners and maybe even some employees who may not feel that that's what it should be called and I have you know I struggle with with the right language to use mm-hmm. in the right times and how it's going to affect people so I think that's part of the challenge of being a leader and I'm hoping I can get really get really good at it or get better at it and, and be strong about it so yeah well I'm sure you can because you're willing to use the language and that's where it starts you know if you soft pedaled it than everybody else that reports to you or that's in your orbit would soft pedal it as well. And that's how we end up (laughs) without making much progress. So tell me, um, Jason, where are you on your DE&I journey? Because I think we're all on one, one way or another. Um, Yeah, I'm um, more focused on it now than ever in the past. You know, I've been the CEO of Broker Gooder for five years. We're you know, 15 person company about to grow to 
30 or 40 people in the next 18 months. And so starting to become a lot more conscious about the significance of it. Right in the early days of the startup, you kind of just hire people that, you know, fit the bill and it's not as much of a focus, but I, I feel like as we start to scale and we think about growing, um, I want to be super conscious of creating a diverse culture and, and being inclusive with it. Maybe one other experience with it, which is my first job out of college, I ran an internship program in a tech company and I swore that it wouldn't be a bunch of male engineers and I managed to hire you know, nine women and 10, 10, 10 college students into the program. And I felt very proud of that as a, you know, a tech male dominated tech industry. I felt proud that I managed to get a reasonably diverse group. And we had Indian people, uh, Mexican people, people of color. And I, I you know what, it, it wasn't, now that I look back on it, it wasn't that explicit. I think it ended up being natural and mm-hmm. man, what a great group of people that was. I had a very fond memory of that, that group. And, um, very likely because of, of the, the different personalities and different cultures mm-hmm. that they came from. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to me that when you put that program together and that it almost naturally happened that you had this, you know, diverse team with diverse cultures and ideas and I'm assuming inclusion and belonging because you guys all worked well together. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, however many years later, you're building a new company and you feel that you have to be more conscious about it. Why is that? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think it's because at the time of, I was doing that program, we knew we were hiring 20 people and there was a very explicit kind of, as we select from a broad pool of, of applicants, we can try and be selective about supporting diversity. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're hiring kind of one person at a time and growing your business, you're you're not thinking about it as much. You're just thinking about hiring the best person for the role or somebody who can fit in at that time. So it's a little, I don't know, it's just, it's, I guess when you're hiring a bigger group, it feels like you have the ability to make that kind of know, statistical choice around the type of people you bring in. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not entirely true, but I don't, as I think about hiring one at a time, it feels weird to say, okay, well, the last person we hired was a male, so the next one we hired should be a female. Or, you know, uh, we've got you know, two white people and one Indian person. Like, you know, should we hire an Asian person or an African American mm-hmm. person? Like, that's a weird thought process to go through candidly. Um, mm-hmm. What makes it weird? I think what makes it weird is that you're, it, it implies that you're, um, you're selecting for race or gender, not skill. And, and I think as I think about, yeah, I guess I think skill-based hiring is, is a more traditional approach. Or at least are you going to hire, mm-hmm. are you going to hire minorities who are less skilled because they're minorities? I guess that's the question. Would I hire minorities less skilled to, to drive a more diverse culture because diversity as a company is more important to us? How do you balance those two things out, right? Um, huh. And it's not to imply that somebody, a minority is going is necessarily going to be less skilled, right? And that's, right. Not, that's not fair. So, but the question is, would, would I or would we prioritize diversity over skill? Is the open question. Hmm. No, that's not the right question at all. Okay. Give me another uh, question. Ask. What's another question that you might ask? I guess the better question is how do we get a better candidate pool so that we have that we have legitimate candidates from all from all different 
races and genders. So, so we're not just being, mm-hmm. we're not just offering the job to the one woman that we took and we put into the interview process, right? We're doing right. a more proactive right. process of sourcing. So. Right, exactly. I, I think a common mistake or error that people make is they think, well, if I hire a minority candidate, then I may not get the skills that I need. And what I hear as a minority, when I hear that is, okay, that's kind of a, you know, a punk's way out of it. The reality is go find the candidate who is a minority and who's qualified because one, no one wants to work in a job that they aren't qualified for. Two, nobody wants to work for a job where they think that they're there because they're a minority, because I've I've been there and that doesn't feel very good. And third, you can find some really dynamic people when we fish outside our our pond, our our usual pond. It's just, I think with when you're ramping up, it's harder to do that because you, you do have to be conscious, as you mentioned, but you also have to be very intentional. Yeah. Yeah. The sourcing, I mean, as, as I think objectively about this now, right? The reason I was able to be successful with the internship program is because we had a broad pool, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we were able to kind of select the best people, the best people that, that were also diverse, right? And if you take that same approach to sourcing, even for a single role, then you end up with the same, the same outcome, right? And so the sourcing mm-hmm. is, is where you create that, that kind of broad pool that, that allows you to, to find people who are both skilled and diverse. So. Right. Mm-hmm. The sourcing is when the intentionality comes in. And right. I think it's not race over skill. It's intentionality over speed. Right. Right. Because if you don't have a diverse network, going to your network is the fastest way to hire people. Right. And so as as I tell people that I coach and, and CEOs and leaders who are looking for people, I say, you know, if you interview someone and at the interview, you say to yourself, you know, man, I would just love to have a beer with that guy right? Mm -hmm. That's the person you shouldn't hire because more than likely that person is mirroring you. I think, I I think I heard you say that once before. And that was, that was interesting, right? Because you sort of, the natural reaction is the opposite, right? You want people you Mm -hmm. feel comfortable with. um, And at the same time, you want diverse views. So how do you work through that from a recruiting and hiring perspective, right? You have two candidates, one's got a different perspective. I guess hopefully you want to have a beer with all of them, but um, <laughs> yeah, well, we're trying to build we're trying to build a, a culture that feels like family. So I want that to be the case. Um, right. Well, that's where inclusion comes into the picture, right? And building inclusion and taking deliberate action to make sure that people feel that they belong. You know, and as the CEO, all of that starts with you. That's right. Yeah. Right. That's, so it becomes you know. You know, and so, and you say, as an example, you know, you want everybody to feel like family. You can do that in a diverse environment. I have an interracial family. My husband is black. My children are biracial. We are a family. So you can create that same thing, you know, that same feeling within your company with a diverse group, as long as you value what each person brings to the table versus seeing what the the difference that they bring as being a difference. Right. 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 So as as a CEO, have you thought about how you can 
embrace and drive inclusion in your company? Yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, interestingly, I think my when I think about the way we handle communication, culture, interactivity, I feel like that's probably already a strong suit. I come from a I come from an Arabic family, and it was a very mm-hmm. uh, very kind of big family environment. Include a lot of people, a lot of social activity, and, and that type of interactivity feels very natural for me. Um, mm-hmm. So whether it's you know, interracial or cross gender, like that's like that just that part actually feels really normal. I think probably mm-hmm. where I want to and aspire to get better is really around the the, the diversity, like less the inclusion, more the diversity, right? The inclusion for me okay. is like, hey, we're all here, we're all swimming in the same direction, we're all communicating. We do every two weeks we have a, a culture get together. It's a, a Zoom call where everybody hops on. It's kind of a mix of just catching up about each other's lives and then we, we mm-hmm. dive into a couple of other either social or organizational issues that kind of need, need discussing so there's there's a forum for that and, and mm-hmm. we did a pretty good job of that um, mm-hmm. especially in a hybrid environment so inclusion i feel i feel pretty good about how, how does the rest of your company feel about inclusion good question i don't know and i haven't asked so mm. So there's a bit of homework for you. Yeah. We were just talking about this recently about mental health, actually, which is, mm-hmm. if you asked me the same question, like, how's the mental health of your company? I would say probably fine, but like we also, we don't ask. And the only way you can find out <laughs> right, right. you have to ask. So I think we as a company need to do a better job of assessing and learning about our employees and how they deal with that, some of these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, Question for you: How do you is it anonymous? How do you do it? Like already, I'm like, what do I do? How do I go do this? And is it like anonymous surveys? Like, how do you? I think in your company, you're small enough to be able to have conversations, right? Okay. So I don't think you ha- you necessarily have to roll out a, a survey unless that's your your culture <clears throat> on a survey. But there are lots of ways to go. I mean, you can do a survey if you feel like you're not going to get. Um, honest feedback by just having a conversation as a CEO, you might be a little intimidating to other people on your, in your company. You may not. So you you have to, to assess that you can bring in a, this isn't a sales pitch. I promise (laughs) you can bring in, you know, a third party that does focus groups, someone who's not afraid to ask the questions, right? right? Do you, do you feel you belong? Do you feel that you're respected and if the answer is yes, what makes you feel respected? If the answer is no, what makes you feel not respected? But your company is small enough to ask the question so that you're operating from a point of knowledge. Right? Yeah, I, I just read a, a book called Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Yes, about, of course. You know, being vulnerable in the workplace. And I feel like this is one of those topics that maybe the old me might have put out a survey because I, I might have been mm-hmm. afraid to have the conversation or might have, might have been not afraid to have the conversation, but I might have been worried that people, that I might be intimidating, like you said, that mm-hmm. people wouldn't want to have the conversation. I'm feeling and believing that those types of honest and vulnerable situations are really where companies come together, where people mm-hmm. come together, right? Yes, yes. Some of the hard, that's what's going to, that's what's going to, that's what's going to make us get closer and stay closer and get through you know, when a, you got a really noisy, frustrating customer and we're all bickering and clamoring and fighting over things like that, those kind of conversations and bonds that you build outside mm-hmm. of those situations are what, what keeps companies together. So 
Right. I think those courageous conversations can be really powerful, right? And of course, as the CEO, it's your job to to set the stage and then shut up, right? And let yeah. let other people talk and have people talk about their experiences. You all have customers. Are your customers treating your employees with respect or is there a feeling of bias there? Uh, you know, those are all things that you want to uncover and we're in an environment where you can uncover them, right? Mm -hmm. And um, where you can have those conversations. And, you know, will you say something stupid? Probably, right? Right. I mean, that's a given, but we all say something stupid every day, right? Right. The point is to to take the, to have the courage to say it. And to your point, being vulnerable, right? We're all human. We all put on our pants one one leg at a time, you know, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Impressive if you did it a different way. You're right, exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. You know, candidly, I'm I'm a little bit scared of that, right? Opening that door and letting my team kind of have honest right. conversations about it. I, you know, we have people with different perspectives, different backgrounds, different ages, and I, um, I guess I I wonder. I guess I I should have faith in them that they're going to be respectful of each other. Right. I'm always worried that somebody's going right. well, away. Right. Well, and if they aren't, I mean, if they aren't respectful of each other, then that's that's a whole different situation to deal with, right? But you know, we are very much, as I'm sure you know, in an age of leading with humanity, empathy, and compassion. That leads the day, and you can't do that unless you know where your employees are. What kind of level of psychological safety do they have? And once you start asking those questions, you have to be prepared then to act on the answers. Right. Yeah. Look, I would. I. I think there is a bit of a question for me about how. You know. I guess. It, are there topics that don't that do and don't belong at work? Right. And this is one. And what are they? Right. I, I kind of always thought. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's some. There's some training in me that says you know politics and religion don't belong at work. Right. And I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true. Right. Because when you're in they're they're very divisive topics. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to create a culture of people who connect and, and in theory get along, I'm I'm fearful of create, of bringing up divisive topics and letting people kind of go at it in a public mm-hmm. forum. So uh, this week yeah. in particular with the, the Supreme Court leak, right? There's the, wow. I feel I can feel some anxiety in the company. And mm-hmm. people wanting to talk about it. And part of me is like, yeah, we should get together and talk about it. And part of me thinks like, well, is that, does that belong? Is that a conversation for the company or is that is that mm-hmm. not? I'm candidly oh. struggling with that. Right. And on those topics, it really, I actually agree with you. And I don't think that politics belong in the office. I really don't. And especially now because they are so, so divisive, but that doesn't mean you can't have human conversations, you know, about issues. We, you mentioned earlier a bit about, you know, the mental well-being, you know, of your employees. There may be employees where this weighs heavily on and it's like, look, you know, you're not taking a side, but you're just supporting your employees. You know, that may be one of those things that you don't have a conversation about, but you, at the same time, you can't pretend that it, that it isn't happening in front right. of us. Right. right. Yeah. And, I don't, this is yeah. a, is a, um, I mean, this came up actually now that I think back a year ago, 
you know, right after George Floyd. And, mm-hmm. and we started having, it was actually, you know, it was mid-pandemic, so we were doing mm-hmm. these Zoom calls where we were in a, in a kind of serendipitous outcome is that we had the entire company on calls, you know, frequently, right? Which is not right. something, before that, it was all very, you know, kind of ad hoc here and there in the office. And so we, I think we did a pretty good job of just putting it out there and letting people just talk about it. Right. And kind of raise the visibility of what was happening, giving people a, a forum to talk about it. And it was, you know, it was a little uncomfortable, but I think as I reflect on it, it was also super constructive. Right. I think, I think we mm-hmm. bonded over it. So. You know, rarely do people learn without feeling uncomfortable first, <laughs> right? Yeah, you got it. Right. You gotta, so if you you're learning, out there. yeah, if you're, you know, if you're trying to build a, you know, a company culture that is inviting, inclusive, and belonging, where there's a lot of belonging, then you're going to have those opportunities and those situations as a CEO where you feel like you maybe you should lean in but you're afraid. For me, whenever I encounter something that I'm afraid of, I lean into it on purpose, right? Yeah, as long as my physical safety is is okay. (laughs) And so, and I would encourage you to do the same thing as a CEO, you know, but we've talked about a couple of things today and particularly in regards to kind of DE&I in your company and some steps that you can take. So I just want to review those so that when we do finish our conversation, you have a sense of what your go-dos are. Love it. Love it. Help me out here. Where is this for me to do or is this for you to do? Oh, no, these are things for you to do. (laughs) No good coach leaves a session with homework, right? That's right. No. So I guess in terms of the review, though, what how would you sort of encapsulate some of the topics that we had today? Have you think more about being intentional than being conscious as you start to um, to grow your company even more? And I think the yep. the more you do that and also talking with your leadership team about that, the more likely that becomes a part of, of your company. Because just because, you know, I don't know your company, but just because you as a CEO feel this way does not mean that everyone else who actually has more contact with your employees than you do, that they feel the same way, right? Right. And you you want to be able to drive your culture that through the organization. So being more intentional instead of just conscious. So as opposed Mm -hmm. to just saying, hey, we need to be aware of, of diversity, equity, and inclusion takeaways what do we do about it right or how do we exactly how do we engage in it Um, yeah think of being conscious as thinking about it intentional is doing something about it right right and and it's almost like what do we do right i mean there's there's kind of like a as as i think about my mm -hmm. leadership team and and i think as a group it's sort of up to Mm -hmm. us to decide like what are a few things right that we want to do to be more intentional about this. Right. And don't don't come up with more than two or three, right? But it will be important as a team to to do that, to have that brainstorm. The um, second assignment that I would give you (laughs) is to put some thought into how are you going to ask your employees about inclusion and whether or not they feel they belong and are in an inclusive culture. Because I, I love the fact that as a CEO, you feel that they are, but that's just not good enough. Right. 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 
And so I think uh, doing that and in a way that your employees will be comfortable, but also where transparency is valued. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I love about that is that if I'm right, then the feedback will only serve to reinforce the feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm wrong, (laughs) then the discovery will be, you know, give us an opportunity to address it. So um, sometimes just capturing Mm-hmm. what's going on and just either vocalizing it or writing it down just goes a long way in terms of right. the impact that, that it has. So, okay. Absolutely. And, you know, and we just met, but I, you know, I really feel that you care about this topic. And so my sense is that your employees, your leaders will understand that you care about this topic as well. And so I think that's a great place to start. Uh, you know, I talk to a lot of leaders who are still tr- struggling to get it. You know, it's like, tell me again why this is the right thing to do. It's like, it's not the right thing to do. It's the human thing to do. You know, get the right thing out of your head. Yeah, because um, I think the natural thing for a lot of executives to do is say like, how does this help my business? Which is like one view of the world. And actually mm-hmm. there, there's, from what I gather, there's a lot of data that, that suggests that that more inclusive and diverse cultures actually uh, perform better, and, and you're you're in a better position to serve, you know, the mm-hmm. world than 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 otherwise. But there's an obvious business answer. There's also just frankly a personal answer, right? Which is like I I enjoy being around different people from different cultures right. and different ages, and so you know, mm-hmm. selfishly, I want the environment to be that way. Right. I, I want to create a company that, of people who feel the same way. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of companies that that still feel like they don't get the benefit, a diverse culture, you know, the business case for diversity that it hasn't helped their business. And 10 out of 10 times when I have those conversations with people, it's because they focused on diversity, the numbers, and they didn't yep. focus on the inclusion piece or the belonging. So I'm a big proponent of, for lack of a better term, divorcing diversity and inclusion because they're not the same thing i think that makes so much sense i think you said that the first time we spoke and right. i like they're two different things right like mm-hmm. diversity is you know is, it's numbers, numbers game, right People, yeah right. Like, you know mm-hmm. and inclusion is is different and, and and like i said I, I hope and i think that we are being inclusive and mm-hmm. i don't think we're terrible at, at diversity but i think we can be better and so at least that, that actually helps me a lot to focus on, you know, what do I need to work on? Is it the diversity piece or the inclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, and, and I'll, you know, as a coach, I'm really good about tough love, you know, okay. <laughs> so, you know, so I think it's great that you think you guys are, are good about diversity and inclusion, but what matters is whether or not your employees are having that experience. Will they feel good about it too? That's really it. I, I want you when people ask you, you know, hey, how are you do, doing on, you know, diversity and inclusion or DEI and belonging, et cetera? I want you to be able to say, we're doing really well. And I know that because my employees tell me that. Right. 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 That, that's yeah. the answer you want. And I guess the last coaching comment I'll leave you with because it's just one of my favorites. And I, you know, I take quotes from people all the time. And one of my favorite poets in the world is Dr. Maya Angelou. One of her quotes is that when we know better, we do better. So it's time to do better. Time to do better. And, and I need to learn 
I've got to learn to do both, both about being taking it seriously as a CEO and also about learning from my team and how they are, how they feel and where they are. So mm -hmm. absolutely. I I all that. Yeah. Grow. Oh, you can. And, and I applaud you for taking it on because there are so many, many people out there who don't get it, who think, who think that it will happen in time, or they say, I know we'll build an ERG and we'll let the ERG take care of it. And that's just not how it works. It all starts with leadership. And so I'm really just honestly, just really impressed with the fact that you're, that you're thinking about it, that you're going from consciousness to intention, which is just fabulous. Because people, white men, are the answer, right? You all are the answer. You are in the positions to make a difference. And anytime anyone's willing to take their privilege and use it to privilege others is something and someone to be celebrated. Thank you. That's kind of you. And it's an important responsibility that I feel and I, I intend to do something about. And this podcast is the is what I'm doing today, right? I used to think that I had to, if you're going to make an impact, you had to drop everything and go all in on something. Mm -hmm. And I, I eventually realized that, that you know, I was never going to dedicate my life to it, but it, mm -hmm. I've got to do something in the meantime. And so today it's about learning and growing as a leader, but then also about raising awareness uh, in my community, which, you know, I think in insurance, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, a recognized uh, lack of diversity. And, right. Um, I'm excited because the rest of the the rest of the show is going to be uh, not the rest of the show, but the rest of the series is going to be mm -hmm. executives from the industry who are um, either female leaders or women of color, or frankly, I might even bring on a another you know white male executive and ask him, yes. you know, hey, what are you doing about it, right? Right, so, right. And if the if his answer starts with, well, my chief diversity officer says. Then ask the question again. <laughs> I'll, tell him, I'll tell him to call you. I'll say, yeah, tell him to call me. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to give him some some thoughts. Some thoughts. This is um, I, this is everything I hope for. Oh, so, good. Thank you. This was yeah. uncomfortable, which means I learned something. Right. Um, it was fun because mm -hmm. uh, I always enjoy talking to intelligent people who are doing amazing mm -hmm. things. So I really appreciate you making some time. Um, I meant to ask you at the beginning of the show, what's the name of your book? I wanna, I wanna oh, it's um, okay. So it's a long title. So okay. it's called You Are Enough with a subtitle okay. of Reclaiming Your Career and Your Life with Purpose, Passion, and Unapologetic Authenticity. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah. And where, where can people get your book? You can get it on Amazon, of course. Okay. Um, you can get it on my website, which is charlenewheelis.biz. If you order it on my website and give me the information, I'll send you an autographed copy on that. That's the difference between me and Amazon. And um, Amazon <laughs> does have the Kindle version as well as the audio version. And I'm actually the narrator on the audio version. Are as well. you? I love mm -hmm. that. I love that. I've been yes. a big audiobook person. So. Yes. Yes. And I encourage people to get the book and earmark pages. And it's interesting because people often think that, that if I'm not a woman or a woman of color, then this book isn't for me. And I hear from as many men as I do from women about the um, how much the book has helped them. So that's that's always nice to hear. Good to know. Good to know. This has been an incredible show. I, yeah. I appreciate you so much for coming on. Um, of course. Is, is there anything, anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up today? Yeah, you know, I have an online store. 
that okay. is called, <laughs> you're going to love this. It's called unapologeticaf.store. Okay. And on there, I, um, I sell t-shirts that say different things like I am enough or unapologetic AF or I am enough and so are you. And the whole idea with the store it's, um, is I'm actually turning it into a nonprofit, but I'm trying to create a movement of people, you know, wearing the t-shirt, taking a picture, sending it to me and just stating loudly and proudly that they know that they are enough. Love it. Because love that's it. what's most important to me. It's so powerful, right? I mean, so powerful and so important that we all feel that way. Exactly. The things that we do when we can mm-hmm. are incredible. So, yes, exactly. Um, so, thank you for having me on the show. This has been really great. It's been a great way to spend my time. I appreciate it, Jason. My pleasure. Thanks for coming. And I look okay. forward to staying in touch and seeing you soon. Take care. Yes, absolutely. And if I can help you with anything, give me a call. If you have a quick question or something, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always here. I will. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Charlene. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.